Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. All right. Well, we are excited about being in part two of our Forward series. Uh, Before we dive in, yesterday we had a a really great time. Many of you uh, we saw and some of you came and helped serve. We were at the Peach Festival all day. Uh, yesterday and then the day before uh, there in Marysville. Man, we had a really good time uh, eating peach cobbler, of course, and everything peach that you could ever imagine. Uh, but we also had a great time just meeting people. Uh, we had several people that did free face painting for kids. There were some games for them. And so thank you for many of you that uh, gave some time, especially those of you that did it during the hottest part of the day. Uh, to, to just serve the community of Marysville. We had a, such a good time uh, the last two days, and so thank you for, for helping. Next week's a big week for the life of our church. Next week is our six-month birthday. It's hard to believe that, that we made it six months. All right. And, and so as you know, if you've been coming here at all, we use any excuse we can to eat. And so we are going to have a birthday cake next week. Uh, We're going to have some fun. Uh, It's our half birthday, so why not eat cake in the middle of the summer? Uh, And so we're going to do that. A great opportunity for you to invite somebody, investing in a relationship, and then inviting them to come to church with you. Uh, We're going to have an awesome time. And again, even if it's a really bad service, you can have cake afterwards. So it's like, hey, that's that's worth it. Uh, But we hope the service is good, too. So it's going to be a fun week. Well, as I mentioned, we started this past week, if you were with us, we started a brand new series, uh, and the series is called Forward. And uh, probably, if, if you're honest about your, your life, every single one of us desires to move forward in our life. Whether you find yourself a, a teenager or a college student, or maybe you're uh, kind of a, a young family and you've got children at home, uh, maybe you are past that stage and now you're in the retirement years, and no, no matter where you are in your life, every single one of us desires to move forward. And, and we began a study in the book of Philippians this past week, and we actually started that study in the book of Acts chapter 16, if you were here. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul, that uh, whether you've grown up in church or not, you probably heard of that guy. The Apostle Paul, he started uh, a trip where he was headed to to do some things. He had a plan, and and God kind of put some roadblocks in his way. And it was during his kind of roadblocks in the way of his path that God led him to a city by the name of Philippi. And and so what's interesting is our series on moving forward actually began because something didn't move forward very well. Uh, The Apostle Paul, he was on his second missionary journey in about A.D. 51. And the second missionary journey, I think we have a map of it. Uh, The second missionary journey, what Paul's goal was, was Paul was going to go visit 
all the different cities that he had started churches in. And he was going to go visit them, and his goal was to encourage them, to strengthen them, and, and, and to find out when he got started, man, things were going really well for him. So the first part of his trip, as he was kind of getting into visiting this, these churches, man, things were going really well for him. In fact, the Bible says that as he was visiting these churches, they were growing in number, and, and things were going real well. But then Paul, he said, you know what, after visiting, and you can see up here, after visiting some of these cities, he gets over here to Antioch and, and he has a plan to go into some new cities and maybe start some new churches. And the Bible literally says that Jesus stopped him from going into those cities. And so, man, Paul, you think about being Paul, and if you're a type A personality, this, it would have bugged you probably like it bugged Paul. Man, he was moving forward, had a really good plan. He was starting churches. He was visiting the churches he had already started. They were growing because of his visit. And then he says, man, we're going to go kind of start some new churches and, and maybe go into some new territory. And it says that Jesus stopped him. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I put my own roadblocks in my life sometimes. And, and, you know, when I, when I do stupid things, and, and so I hedge my own way up a little bit, but Paul, the Bible says that Jesus actually was the one that stopped him from going and telling more people about Jesus, which you think, wow, what's, what's going on? And so as Paul's kind of moving into his plan, and it's, it's, he has these roadblocks, he's sitting and, and he's thinking, okay, now what am I supposed to do? And then in Acts chapter 16, verse 9, it says this. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, so Europe, was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. But Macedonia wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't part of the, hey, this is where we're going to go. And we got like, back in these days, they obviously didn't have GPS. Maybe they had like the AAA trip map where he had all his stops in there. And Macedonia wasn't on the map. It was a whole nother country and Paul wasn't really interested in going there. But now he gets this vision and this guy in his vision, his dream says, hey, come over to Macedonia. We're here. We need to hear from you. And so Paul, after he has this vision, because Paul is a man that's about what God wants, he says, okay. And, and he throws his plan out the door and he heads to Macedonia and he ends up in a city called Philippi. And Philippi isn't a city where there's a, a, a lot of Jewish people like Paul grew up with. And so, man, while Paul's there and he's like, all right, I'm here, what am I supposed to do? And so Paul just does what he always does, and he goes to start just talking to people about Jesus. And all of a sudden, on the, the, the day that he went to, to, he went to the river to pray, and it, they didn't even have like a, a tabernacle, they didn't have like a, a synagogue or anything, and so he, he went there to pray, and all of a sudden this lady Lydia says, hey, what are you talking about? And Paul's like, well, well let me tell you about this Jesus I'm talking about. And the Bible says that Lydia and her whole family start following Jesus. And then Paul, he keeps kind of doing his thing, and, and all of a sudden there's this, this demon-possessed girl that's kind of following him around and kind of mocking him through his day. And so what does he do? I guess if you're Paul, you can do this. He casts the demon out of this little girl. 
And then he gets thrown in prison. And so what do you do if you're Paul and you're thrown in prison? You sing about Jesus. That's what he does. He prays and sings about Jesus when he's in prison. So he's hanging out in prison in a city he didn't plan on being in. And all of a sudden, there's this huge earthquake. And, and, and God uses this earthquake and Paul sitting in prison. The jailer and his whole family that night become followers of Jesus. And so this plan that Paul had to go to all these cities and, and, and uh, strengthen the churches that he had already been in, God kind of threw that plan out the door. He finds himself in Philippi. Within a few days, there's families of people that have begun to follow Jesus, and they actually start a church. It's the first church in Europe. And this was never part of the plan. This wasn't on Paul's agenda. But God's plan for him moving forward was to do this. And so this church becomes really special to Paul. He, he probably visited it a few more times. They corresponded with Paul. They sent gifts to Paul to help him in his ministry. And so this was a special church, first church in Europe. And so fast forward. Ten years later, Paul is sitting in a Roman prison about 800 miles away from the city of Philippi. And, and while Paul's in prison, because of the social stigma, a lot of people kind of turn their back on Paul, but not the church in Philippi. In fact, these people in Philippi, when they found out that Paul was in prison 800 miles away, which for us, 800 miles, like, oh, I can jump on a plane and be there in a few hours. For them, this is like, we're talking weeks to get, this is, might as well have been on the moon. But the church at Philippi said, you know what, our, our friend Paul's in prison. And so they, they sent kind of one of their elders of the church, Epaphroditus, with, with a financial gift. And he went those 800 miles for the sole purpose of delivering this gift and encouraging and, and kind of strengthening and comforting Paul while he was in prison. And the Bible tells us that while Epaphroditus was there, he got so sick that he almost died as he was trying to help Paul. And after Epaphroditus got, his kind of got, got back physically and was feeling better, Paul said, you know what? I want to write a letter to the church. The church, 800 miles away. I want to write a letter to them, Epaphroditus. Would you, would you let me write this letter and would you take this letter back to this church? And, and this letter is, is going to thank them for their gift, but I, I want to write this letter to encourage them in their walk with Jesus, to help them continue to move forward in looking more like Jesus. So Epaphroditus, would you deliver this letter? And Epaphroditus, he does. And so I want you to imagine with me. You're in the city of Philippi, which isn't a popular place to be a follower of Jesus. One of the favorite things that you do all week is you gather with your faith family, usually in the evening. You gather, and, and tonight's the night that you're gathering with your church, the church at Philippi. And tonight's a really special night because Epaphroditus is back from Rome. And so, man, you're extra excited to go to the, your gathering tonight, your church tonight with the other people in Philippi because Epaphroditus is back. And better than that, he has a letter from Paul he's going to share. And so you, you go to church that night. Most likely it was in the evening. And when, once you're at church, you look around the room and you see Lydia and her whole family. 
You, you look around the room and the guy that's in charge of the jail, he and his whole family, they're there and, and some of their neighbors are there. And, and then there's that, that girl that was a demon-possessed little girl and, and, and man, now she's grown up and she's married and has kids of her own and, and she's there and man, the room's full. And Epaphroditus gets up and says, hey, I, I want to share with you this letter that our good friend Paul wrote. And so everyone sits down. And Epaphroditus begins to read this special letter from Paul to you and to your church. And and the way Paul begins this letter, it catches you off guard because he begins this letter in a way that he normally doesn't begin his letters. And so it says this in Philippians verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as Epaphroditus starts reading this letter, it catches you off guard because Paul, he usually introduces himself as Paul the Apostle. But in this letter, he introduces himself, he says, hey, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. See, in this day and age, there were slaves. Some of them did menial work. Some of them uh, did important work. But at the end of the day, a slave is still a slave. And as Paul starts this letter, instead of saying, hey, Paul, the apostle, he says, Paul and Timothy, the slaves of Jesus Christ, the bondservants of Jesus Christ. See, Paul considered it a high privilege to take the form of a servant because his Savior Jesus came to earth in the same form. And so for Paul, it wasn't a step down to become a slave or a servant of Jesus. It was something that he was excited about because he was following in the footsteps of his Savior. And so he begins this letter. He says, Paul and Timothy, we are servants, or better words, slaves of Christ Jesus. To be called a servant was a mark of distinction in the history of God's people. People like David and Moses and Joshua were talked about in the scriptures as servants. See, Paul not only believed that this was the right thing to do, but he thought it was the best and most fulfilling way to live his life. Sometimes, if you're honest, there's things in your life you know they're the right thing, but they're not the fun thing. They're the right thing, but it's like, uh, is this really going to kind of is is this really going to be fulfilling? I know this is the right thing for Paul. He knew it, it was serving Jesus was the right thing, but he also knew this. It was the most fulfilling way to spend his life as a servant of Jesus Christ. I can remember my son Austin. He's at, in New York uh, right now. He's working at a camp this summer, and he's 17. But I remember when he was a little kid, we lived in Florida. And in Florida, in, especially in the summer, you, have to, you should. You don't always do it, but you have to mow your grass like twice a week in Florida during the summer. And uh, obviously not fun. There's like 150 degrees and humidity and all that fun stuff. But I I remember in Florida when we would mow the grass, and Austin was probably a little younger than my younger daughter now, Kate, who's five, probably four. He had one of those little kid mowers. And so I would get out there, and I would, you know, start the mower, and 
start mowing. And he, he was a little afraid of it because it's kind of loud. And so he wouldn't get like right up next to me. He'd be like three or four lanes over. And I can remember, and it was fun. I wish we did Facebook and Instagram back then because I would have probably put it on video. Uh, but I would, you know, do my mowing and, and I'd look and, you know, four or five lanes down, he'd be chugging along with his little mower as happy as can be. I wish he was still like that when he mowed the lawn, but uh, they grow up and that's not as fun. Uh, you know, and the mower doesn't blow bubbles like the, the, old, the little kid mowers do. But, but he, would, he would do and he, he would just go along and, and he would just have a fun. He, and he wanted to do that. Had a little vacuum cleaner that he did the same thing with. You know, again, today, vacuum cleaners might as well have anthrax on them because the kids don't want to use them. But when they're little kids, they have their little vacuum. And, man, they're, they're excited to serve. They, they, it's not like, hey, i got to twist your arm or give you $20 a week to do jobs. No, they want to serve. They trust you as their parent, and so they want to serve along with you. It's something they enjoy. But, but then we get a little older. And if we're honest, we get a little bit more cynical and we begin to let our appetites for success and significance become our master and the things that we enjoyed doing when we were little kids and that we served and and didn't think twice about, now we think twice about because we've grown up a little bit and now there's other things in our life that are more important to us than serving. And, And as I think about Paul... And we talked a little bit about this last week. Our way forward comes down to one question. Your way forward, if you were to look at your life next year at this time compared to this year, where you've gone in your life comes down to one question. And the question is simply this. Who do you serve? Who do you serve? If you serve yourself then you have a path forward, and and your path forward will look a certain way based on who you serve. If you serve God, and and like Paul, he says, you know, I'm a slave, I'm a servant, it's it's what I want to do with my life, it's the most fulfilling thing, Then, then your life will have consequences that way. But it all comes down to who you serve. And for Paul, it was right up front, he introduces himself as, hey, I'm not Paul the apostle, I'm Paul the servant. Of Jesus Christ, the slave, the bondservant. After his initial introduction, Paul goes on and he says this in verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon all my remembrance of you. Again, you're in the living room. You're listening to Epaphroditus read this. And you hear Epaphroditus say, I thank my God when I remember you, Lydia. And you, jailer, and you, demon-possessed girl that probably had a name, but I don't know your name, and, you, and, and there was other people. And Paul says, I thank my God when I, when I remember you always in every prayer of mine for you all making prayer with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, because Paul served Jesus, it was natural for him to celebrate with joy the life change that happened in these people. And he remembered them with joy. I wrote this in my notes, and it's so true. Who we serve influences what we celebrate. Who we serve influences what we celebrate. 
Paul, as he's writing to these people, he celebrated the change in their life because he served Jesus. And so what was a big deal to Jesus was a big deal to Paul. Who we serve influences what we celebrate. That's why here at City Walk Church, we celebrate when prodigals come home. At City Walk Church, we celebrate when a five-year-old starts asking questions about Jesus. At City Walk Church, we celebrate when somebody's past is redeemed and it becomes not just their past, but their testimony of Jesus working in their life. See, we celebrate families that are put back together. We celebrate things that Jesus celebrated because we serve Jesus. And for Paul, he says, I remember you with joy. I'm sitting in prison with a smile on my face because I remember the life change. I remember the partnership in the gospel. I remember. And he goes on, he says this in verse 6. He says, and this is the most, this, should, this verse right here, should it give you hope no matter what your life looks like? It, just, just look at this verse. And I am sure... So are you kind of sure, Paul, or are you really sure? He says, no, I'm sure. Settled conviction. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That verse, if you're a mom that has a son that's walked away from the faith, should give you hope. If you're a a person who has struggled in your walk with God and is frustrated because you don't seem to be able to move forward and you desire to, but you feel like you continue to fall and slip up, this verse should give you hope. Because, and this is why, we don't start the work of God and we can't stop it. This verse, Paul says, hey, he who began a good work in you wasn't you. It was God, and because God began it, you can't stop it, and it will be completed. And so again, you're sitting in this living room, and you're just hearing these words as as Epaphroditus reads this, and and you're thinking of Paul, and and he's saying, hey, don't, don't you get down because God began something in your city in Philippi. He began something in your family, and he will complete it. You don't lose heart. And Paul's sitting there in prison saying this. And, and then, he, then he, and, and I have this in my notes, and, and I think we're going to put it up on the screen. This is from Warren Wearsby. The work of God, and there, there's some things that, that God does. The, the work God does for us is salvation. So, so the, this idea that, you know what? I can't save myself. I can't do anything to earn it. I don't deserve it. It's the work that God does for us. Then there's a a big Bible word called sanctification. It's the work God does in us. Once we've become a follower of Jesus, this is the process of God making us look more like Jesus. And somebody that was really smart called it sanctification. But then there's one more thing, and it's service. It's the work God does through us. And sometimes we give ourselves credit for what God started and what he's doing. And Paul's saying, you know what? God started this work, and he will complete it. 
This is about God. It's about his glory, not about ours. This should encourage and give us all hope. And then Paul says this in verse 7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, there's something very special in a relationship that's built on common love for Jesus. And Paul, 800 miles away, sitting in prison, he's literally sitting there and saying, you know what, I desperately want to spend time with you. I love you dearly. What? Paul, you're, you're sitting in prison. And, and for Paul at this point, he, was away, he thought he might be executed. I mean, he, Paul thought, you know what, and you'll see later on in, in the book of Philippians, he, he thought, you know what, this may be the last go, go for me. So, so think about what you would have on your mind if you were sitting in prison, and it wasn't a fun prison, you were awaiting the guy come to the door to take you outside the city and cut your head off, you didn't know if that day was today or in five years, but you knew it was probably coming, and, and Paul says, you know what? As I'm sitting here in prison awaiting execution, I'm thinking about you because you're so dear to me. See, from this deep Christ-like love, Paul, he begins now to say, hey, let me tell you how I pray for you. And he takes the next few verses after he's just told them how much he loves them. He says, let me share with you what I pray for you while I'm in prison. And he says this, look at verse 9. He says, it is my prayer for, for, that your love, your Christ-like love, may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So Paul's like, man, I'm, I'm sitting here in prison and I love you dearly. Every time I pray for you, I remember you with joy. And here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your love, the Christ-like love that's inside of you, I'm praying that it abounds, it, it overflows, and it, it doesn't overflow with this, this, this simple petty love, but I, I pray that it overflows in love that's based on the knowledge of God. I, I want you to love deeply based on what you know about God and His purposes He's not saying, I want you to love based on your politics. I want you to love based on your upbringing. I want you to love based on your temperament. No, he's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to grow in love based on your knowledge of God and his purposes. That's the, the, the love that I want to just abound, overflow in your life. See, as we know God better, we are able to love others in a greater way. As as you get to know God better, whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or whether you're kind of new to faith or maybe investigating, when you get to know God better, you actually are able to love what He loves because you know Him more. And all throughout Scripture, specifically the New Testament, it talks about this love that abounds. Right here I have, I have this cup. And... Uh, this cup, if, if I was to take this water bottle and just pour this cup and just stand here and maybe get another water bottle and just keep pouring, before you know it, pretty small cup, so before you know it, this cup would just be 
We'd, be, we'd have a, a wet stage, and Mark would start to get nervous because there's wires up here, and, and so there'd be water starting to get everywhere. There'd be water just overflowing out of this cup. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know what? I want your love to be like that, where it's overflowing. It's overflowing. It's just everywhere you go, it's, it's, there's just so much, you just can't stop it. But here's what happens for most of us. We walk into a room, and our cup's about half full, maybe. And so you know what? When I walk into a room, and my cup's half full, I need you to fill my cup. So I can't love you the way Jesus loves you because I need you to fill my cup. So I might say some nice things to you hoping that you'll say some nice things to me that'll, that'll fill my cup a little bit more. And, and then I'll walk in maybe to this side of the room and, and, and what you say to me and what you think about me means a lot because I need you to fill my cup for me to be okay. But, but when you, and, and here's what Paul's saying, when you walk into a room and your cup is filled because you have an identity in Christ and your cup is overflowing with Christ-like love, you can walk into a room and love people and not need anything from them. It changes the game when that happens. But that doesn't happen unless you get to know Jesus and his love overflows in your life. Imagine, teenager, Walking into school the first day and not needing anyone's approval, but just being there whether they love you or hate you and able to love them the way Jesus loved them because your cup's overflowing. You don't need, I mean, yeah, it's still nice and you still like, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying you hate people and don't like them to be nice to you, but you don't need that to be okay most of us walk into rooms and we desperately need other people to give us their approval so our cup will get full so we can be okay. And Paul's saying, my prayer for you is that your love based on knowledge of God and His purposes would overflow everywhere you go. And then he says this, so that you may approve what is excellent so that you may be pure or sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. Why do I want your love to overflow? Paul says, because I want you to be able to approve what's excellent. I want you to be able to make wise, godly decisions because you're full of the knowledge and love of God. It helps you make good decisions. It helps you approve things that are good. And then he says, but I also want you to be pure and blameless. I want you to, to, to be able to walk it through your life and not feel guilty because of all the stuff. This, this word pure, it actually is the same word sincere. And, and back in this time period, what they did, obviously they didn't have Tupperware, they didn't have Target, didn't have Amazon. And so when you needed a bowl or a pitcher... You went down to the market and there was, you know, the bowl guy and there was the pitcher guy. And, and you would go and, and you would go and you'd pick out whatever bowl. It was made of clay, most likely, and, and you'd pick it out, whichever one you wanted, and, you know, take it home and you'd probably use that. Probably use that same bowl quite a bit. But here's what would happen if your bowl maker wasn't a real honest guy. What would happen is while they were making those bowls, there would be cracks in some of those bowls. And so a not honest bowl maker would say, you know what, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to take some wax and kind of line the cracks with this wax 
let the wax dry, then I'll paint over it. And when you come to buy your bowl, you wouldn't know the difference until it was an uh, Yuba City, July 107 day. And you were trying to bake a cake. And all of a sudden, your bowl, you would begin to see the wax melt because your bowl wasn't sincere. Your bowl cracked under pressure. And here's what Paul's saying. He says, I want you to be pure, sincere, so that you are tested through sunlight, that that you can withstand the tough times and you will still be sincere. You will be pure. You will be blameless. You will approve what's excellent. And then Paul goes on, and, and we'll finish with this verse. He says, and here's what the results are. When your love is abounding, when you're sincere, pure, blameless, when you're approving, making wise decisions, here's what happens. He says in verse 11, you're filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, when, when you're over, like over, you're just pouring out Jesus' love and when you're making wise decisions because of what's in your heart and mind, you know what automatically happens? You start to produce fruit. You start to produce fruit naturally. You start to become more like Jesus personally, and you start to impact other people naturally with the hope of Jesus because you are just producing fruit based on who you are. You know this, when when trees produce fruit, they don't make a lot of noise. I mean, we have a cherry tree in our backyard. We have a, an orange tree in our backyard. I've never been woken up in the middle of the night like, oh, my goodness, it must be like fruit coming on the tree. Because things that produce, they don't make noise. They're not real proud. I mean, they're not like, hey, I'm producing fruit. It just happens. It happens based on who they are and what they've been fed. Sometimes in the church world, people are like, look at me. Look at the fruit I'm producing. They're like loud about it, real proud. See, spiritual fruit, to to know if it's real spiritual fruit, there's a couple things you look at. Does it last? And who gets the praise for it? And what Paul's saying is as you move forward, as you develop his prayer for them, as you develop this love that's overflowing, as this love that's overflowing begins to help you make wise decisions and begins to give you the ability to under the sunlight, under the, the, the heat, still be pure, you'll just automatically begin to produce the fruits of righteousness. You won't have to like, let me work harder for Jesus and, and let me squeeze out some fruit. It just happens. And it lasts. And Jesus gets all the praise for it. So imagine with me. You're sitting back in that living room. And Epaphroditus has just finished this first little part. What would you be thinking? What would you be thinking as as he's reading this letter from Paul? Would you be encouraged? Would you be challenged? Would you be hopeful? As you heard of Paul's dedication to serve Christ and his prayer for you? See, for us, when we talk about forward, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about becoming more 
like Jesus. And Paul's desire for these people was that they look more like Jesus 800 miles away from him. As as we sit here, it's about 2,000 years since Paul wrote this. And, And the words that Paul wrote to this church at Philippi, this young church about 10 years old, are as relevant today as they were when he wrote them in that prison. And whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or maybe you're investigating faith, you being here today says you are at least intrigued by the idea of moving forward spiritually. Like you might not be ready to sign on the dotted line as a follower of Jesus. You might not be ready to like, hey, God, you have my life. But you're at least intrigued by the idea of what it might look like to move forward spiritually. And we've already mentioned this. Our path forward comes down to that one question. And so the question that you and I have to grapple with is who do we serve? If I serve me, then I need you. If I'm all about me, then I desperately need you to approve of me. I need you to give to me. I'm a very needy person if all I'm serving is myself. But if if I'm serving God, I have everything I need in Christ. That's why Paul could sit in prison awaiting execution and have other people on his mind because he was serving Christ. He wasn't serving himself. If he was serving himself, he wouldn't have been thinking about the church at Philippi. He, He would have cared less about them. But he cared about them because he served Christ. And so here's the question I want to close with. Would you be willing to make a bold proclamation in your heart? And here's the proclamation. Jesus, I want to be more like you. Would you just, in your heart, would you be willing to make that bold and honest statement that for us, if moving forward is looking more like Jesus, would you be willing to, in your heart, Make a bold proclamation that says, Jesus, I want to be more like you. That's what Paul's prayer was for these people. And and if you're a mom or dad, that's probably what your prayer is for your kids. And, And my wife said this yesterday. She said, you know what? When I'm more like Jesus, I'm a better wife to you. And when you're more like Jesus, you're a better husband to me. Automatically, without trying If we're more like Jesus and we don't do it for this reason, a lot of other things in our life start to work out better. I start to love people differently. I start to not need them every time I walk into a room. I can just love people instead of hoping they like me. And that's what Paul's prayer, but it's not like a quick, like take this pill and it all happens. You guys know that. It's a process. But it starts with just a a, a dependent saying, You know what? As much as I needed you for salvation, Jesus, I need you to be more like you. I need you. Forward looks like becoming more like Jesus. And so here's what we're on your way out today. Like you needed another bracelet, but you're going to get one. On your way out, you're going to get a little bracelet. And on, on the bracelet, it just simply has the word forward. And what I want to encourage you to do, and I'm going to do this for the next, uh, while we're doing this series, for the next six weeks, 
is I, I want you to, if you'd like, wear this. And if you, if you choose to wear this bracelet, here's, here's why we put the word forward on this. Because when you look down in your day at this word, we want you to think, for me, forward is becoming more like Jesus. And we need that reminder. And also when you look at this and you see other people in your life that may make you mad or may, may, you may love, but those people, you know what you, your prayer for those people will be, hopefully? Lord, whether they ever make me happy, make them more like you. And we want to have just a reminder as we look down at that, that it reminds us as we see that word forward that God's goal for me is to become more like his son and my prayer for other people should be the same thing. And so on your way out today, uh, we're going to give you that as a reminder. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that uh, salvation isn't up to us. And, and really, this life of living for you is not up to us either. As much as we needed you to save us, we need you in our daily life. Lord, we're desperate for you. We need to more, look more like you if we're going to be good moms and good dads. We need to look more like you if we're going to be a good spouse. Lord, we need to look more like you if we're going to interact with our co-workers that honestly sometimes get on our nerves. Lord, we need to look more like you if we're going to do that. And so God, we're coming to you this morning and we're just saying, Lord, we need you. We need you to work in our hearts and make us more like you. We need the love that you had in your heart when you came and died and rose from the grave for us. We need that same love in us. So that we can make good, loving decisions. Lord, I pray that you would guide us personally. I pray that you would guide us as we interact with our family. That Lord, more than anything, we would think about how we can become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.